Take me home, Midland Road, to the place I belong, to the valley, to see the city. Take me home, Midland Road. Hello and welcome along to the first episode of a season with Bradford City. Very excited to be here and doing this. I'm your host, Tom McDermott, where each week I'll bring you as much up-to-date information about the club from all levels throughout the 23-24 campaign. Plenty more on that and why I'm doing all this in the following weeks, but what better way to get us started than by having Bradford City CEO Ryan Sparks on. Let's get straight into it, Ryan, and thank you for your time because I imagine it's quite a busy period for you. But as this season quickly approaches, have you managed to get that playoff defeat to Carlisle United out of your system? Yeah, listen, it was a, it was a tough, tough thing to take. Um, we carried... Probably not enough momentum into the second leg, if I'm honest. I think we, we lost the latter parts of the second half, despite winning the game 1-0. It, it didn't quite feel good enough on the night. And I think we just allowed Carlisle to take some confidence from the game at, at Valley Parade. And, yeah, obviously the aftermath was very difficult. You know, it was, there was a bit of... Um, sort of light at the end of the tunnel moment when we got the goal back, but we were, perhaps we're delaying the inevitable. Carlisle were better, better than us on the day. There was more desire from their players. Um, certainly the ones who needed to, to step up, they did. And they ended up in the in their third division, which they probably deserved, to be honest, on balance. Um, I thought they were very good. I thought that uh, the team went above its means, potentially. I thought Paul Simpson got the best out of the players. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, it, and it, they deserve all the succession. I've got a lot of friends at Carlisle. Um, the chairman and the chief executive are close friends of mine, and I, I wish them the very best. Um, it's just a shame we had to uh, go at it against each other, of course. And yeah, the full the full time whistle was a low point, um, but it's life. You move on. It, it makes you a little bit stronger, and you perhaps in life have to go through those experiences to really understand how it feels to, to be able to be hugely successful because we weren't far away from achieving something that, um, that that the club hasn't achieved for a long, long time. So it's a busy period in the football calendar for you, that preparation for a new season. And there's far more to it, I know this, than simply buying and selling players. What does a, a typical day look like at the moment for Ryan Sparks? Very varied, very varied, Tom. Um, last season, we needed... Um, number of new players you know we needed to sign 17 to 20 we ended up signing 21 by the end of the window took that nearly to 30 by the end of the January window if my maths are right maybe 27 I'm, I'm a little bit off um, so it, it was far more intense from a recruitment perspective this summer was always going to be about adding to what was a relatively settled squad we felt a, a relatively successful squad as well of course first time in the playoffs for six years so uh, it's not a by any means a failure. Um, the, the outcome perhaps was was a failure, but certainly in terms of progress, you know, from when I took over the club in November 2020, we were second bottom of the football league and we were heading down fast. So, you know, we, we've, we've come for some strides and there's been some bumps in the road. Um, but of course, you know, I, I think we've we've added very well in the summer. We've, we've recruited some excellent players um, in terms of what they bring on and off the grass. Um, and hopefully we'll see the, the fruits of that. So relatively quiet in that area, but it's, it's an extremely busy period. You know, I mean, 
I think, you know, I got married in the summer and it was very difficult when you're spinning the plates, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm, not, good at, I'm not good at switching off. I'm really bad at that. So Congratulations. It, yeah, yeah, thanks. It, it is diffi- it's very difficult to spin the plates. And, uh, but but I'm, I'm blessed to have excellent staff. You know, the club has got a wealth um, of assets off the, off the field that, that run it. And um, without them, we would be nowhere near where we are. Um, that they're on, Their off-field work is... Is what gives us the on-field potential, and um, now we, 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 it's, it is a busy period. There's no two days are the same, um, and you you just never know what's around the corner. You know, we had some really difficult news um, in in May. I lost um, we lost Neil Matthews, our academy manager, which we mm-hmm. we knew Neil wasn't well, uh, but it's extremely difficult to take. What rocked the business in one of the most successful departments the club's got if not the most successful department in the last 20 years. Okay. And um, it's been a huge, a huge challenge, you know, to, to continue his legacy. So many, many, obviously I had a performance left and went to another club higher up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lost a couple of our academy staff again, gone higher up. You know, this is the nature of when you have quality staff in the building, you will, you're doing something right. If you're struggling to keep hold of them, in my opinion. So players and managers, of course, and staff alike. So, it, it, it creates a very different summer to last summer, but one of progress, in my opinion. And, and talking of progress, but also remembering the past, I was at a Bradford City event yesterday, evening in the city centre, and the new kit looks like it's been um, received pretty well. Yeah, look, the kit is, um, is is a remake of our first kit for 120 years ago, so it, it has a traditional design to it. Um, you know, we, we strategize quite strongly with our kit partners Macron about what the next three to four years will look like on the field we know pretty much where we're going with them um, and we felt it was a good opportunity for us to move away from strikes for a season I'm not sure I'm not saying they won't be back of course it is our traditional modern traditional kit mm-hmm. but we've, we've done all sorts in recent years we ran around in a white kit uh, for the 21-22 season which was the last time the club got automatics from the fourth division we tried to emulate it we failed um, right. Again, it was very well, very well received. Uh, I think when you when you make a change, there's always an an instant reaction, and then you know I've spent a long, a long, long time in sport and how things look on the grass, uh, how they will, how the players will look in them, and how we look as a football club, the brand and our image and our mentality about that is very important to me. So I'm always pretty confident with what we come out with on the kit front will be strong. I don't think we've made too many bad ones in the last few years, um, and our sales on this one are about 9% in front of where they were on what was an extremely popular, if not the best-selling home kit of the last 15 years last season. So it's been pretty well received so far. Our away kit's also quite a nice one. got a third kit to come to. So now the, the, the Macron um, you know, partnership is a really good one for Bradford City and it's taken us on exponentially, really, from a, from a revenue growth perspective and, and really just placing our brand alongside some of the bigger clubs on the planet, really, is, is what I'm is what I think we should be all about. Pre-season is well and truly with us then, and indeed the start of the league season is only well less than a couple of weeks away. You faced Hull last weekend, Middlesbrough this week, and recently got back from a a trip to Spain where you played La Liga side Getafe, no less. How was that experience for the players, and is it something the club might look to do next year? Because there's a balancing act, isn't there, of getting that preparation right before the season starts? Well, it was warm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Hot very, weather. Very warm. Yeah, a little bit too warm, if I'm honest. No, we, we went out there to Pinatar last year, uh, which was the first time the club had been to Spain, I think, for a long time. Okay. Pretty when, but it must probably be the early 2000s. And we felt, I, I was out there for the duration, and I just felt it kind of had a bit of an anticlimax when we got back on the plane, came home. I didn't, obviously, there was huge value in it, no doubt. I just felt there was a missing bit. And we wanted to have a fixture. And, I'm, I, you know, we look at commercial growth as far as we can. And, you, you know, you probably turn your nose up when I talk about overseas tour strategies and things like that. But right. there is actually, that, that should be there for a club with 18,000 uh, average attendances, you know. So, yeah. rather than just, it, it, it is about the work, but it's got to be about growth for the club. And we feel we've made a decent dent into that and we've got something to build on. There's some learnings from it from an operational perspective and the travel partner has to take a few on the chin as well, but yeah. they're not they're not massively hard to fix. You know, they're, they're minor details which can make a massive amount of difference. Uh, we took just under 200 supporters out there and I think next time that would be significantly more. I think it's been very good for the marketing of the tour. People have probably feel like they've missed out, but it is a difficult period, obviously, for people financially and that's also a challenge, you know, when holidays and families and having to make decisions about what you do with your money, I guess. So, but no, we, we want to make a thing of that, you know, that is while I'm sat in this seat, that's my ambition is to for us to play clubs that Bradford City might never play. Yeah. Um, you know, Italy is an option for us, obviously, given our Macron partnership and other parts of Europe where... Um, we already have friends on the ground, you know, so the, the things will definitely come on that front and there's no there's no reason we couldn't play an English side out there or wherever we go next. So we, we're working on next season already, really, because we think there's a there's a real potential there. We perhaps didn't capitalise on that potential this time, but we, yeah. we certainly made an inroad into it and you have to start somewhere, Tom, so you, 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 no one's... Yeah, know, no. We claim to be overseas tour experts, but yeah. we've given it a go. And I think the fact that Bradford have played a La Liga side is something else to tick off on your sort of bucket list of being chief exec, I suppose. So from a personal perspective, I thought it was quite unique, really. Yeah. And, and just on this pre-season, because of that uncertainty around which division Bradford City would be playing in this campaign, would it be League Two? Would you have gone up via the playoffs to League One? Did that make planning for pre-season and the coming season hard to do were you perhaps playing a little bit of catch-up um, not particularly no um, we started our recruitment cycle slightly later than the previous season just because we knew where we knew we were buried really if you like last season we were we were done probably just shortly after shortly before mark took the job really in mm-hmm. all realism it was a long shot um, we didn't have the squad to do anything so we knew where we stood a bit more i think you know the contract lengths of most of our players would make it fairly obvious that we weren't going to be behind the eight ball. We'd we'd already identified most of the targets. Mm-hmm. We would always try and recruit players that we felt could play in League One or League Two, to be honest. Now, some of them, don't get me wrong, you're going to lose them. Um, and we have a couple that would have only ever been for League One or higher. Um, however, um, perhaps the only delay is convincing the ones that perhaps believe League One was that was the club at the time to join Bradford it still is the time and those conversations perhaps just were slower than than they would have been if we were sat in the third division rather than the fourth division but I don't I don't feel like we're behind if I'm honest and I never, I've never, at no point this summer have I felt the weight of the weight of that You've made some some good additions can the supporters expect any further signings either loan or on a permanent basis before the end of the window? 
Yeah, we're certainly looking at the loan market. I think we've been fairly open about that, you know, from the start. We, we Your better loans come towards the middle to the end of August, really, if you look at historically what we've signed. And that's because the best teams are, are then the domino effect is yes. starting to happen. Uh-huh. The loan market really hasn't actually got going. If you look around the divisions, there are a couple that have gone in. Um, you know, the, the players... The, play, the only loan signing we've made thus far was one that we sort of positioned very, very early in the piece. Uh, we identified Daniel Oyagoki over a year ago when we played Brentford B behind closed right. doors. And okay. Daniel was someone we felt could have had real capability to our 11 and flexibility, versatility, all those words, and, and he will do. Um, so that, that maybe books the, the trend on what I've just said there about when we go. Um, but then there are some who are going to be difficult to, to sign in the fourth division, but we're certainly having a look at them. And as long as we have the ability to do it from a financial perspective, which hopefully we will, there will probably be some outs as well before the, before the end of the window. There are a couple of players who may find themselves with very little, very little to do this season. Uh, so they do need to move on. And I'm sure they will um, at the right time when they get the right opportunity, albeit, albeit on loan, on permanent, whatever. And then that will just free us up to go back into the market but you know we're all, you're always looking to sign good players recruitment's not a not a sort of four week thing it should it should go on permanently really no and I think interesting from a from a supporter's point of view there just to to understand and listen to the kind of level of work that goes in and detail over over many months before some of these signings are made you can't get them all right um, and, and you know sometimes you sign a player and you really you're convinced that it will fit, and then other times you sign a player that you're not so sh- you're not entirely convinced, and that one perhaps it goes the other way. That's just as football, you know. You, as long as you hit rates pretty good, you, you, you're content with it because the, there's a market for players, and you know you have a have a desire to trade players as well. But to get to get yourself into a trading position, you've got to try and sell one first, and you've got to build value in them. So. No, it's, it is, it's an ongoing thing and, you know, our, our recruitment team is led by Stephen Jen, who's a very talented boy and we have some great we have some great options and ideas for all divisions and in the future and whatnot, but it's a lot of watching, it's painstaking and, you know, I don't think Stephen sees much of his family, he's, he's out most nights watching games that you couldn't even imagine, so, <laughs> right. yeah, he's an under-23s fan, he's a fan of all kinds of divisions and... I scratch my head sometimes, but he's very. He takes his job extremely seriously. The other side of the coin then is player departures. It's a sign, I guess, that you are moving in the right direction when players are linked with a move away from the club. Barnsley, I believe, showed an interest in Harry Lewis, but that appears to have gone away. Do you expect there to be any significant departures before the window shuts? And is there any pressure on Mark Hughes and yourself to to make a sale or two? Um, well, to have to. Have- have any deal, Tom? You've got to have a, win- a willing buyer and a willing seller. And but, but equally, you also need a correct. You need the, the valuation has to be correct, and yeah. the deal has to be right. Not just for today, but it has to be right for tomorrow. You know, the players I've sold at Bradford City, um, be it at first team level, very few, if I'm honest, and, and then in the junior levels, several. They've all got potential to raise millions and millions of pounds for Bradford City long after I'm probably not involved in in mm-hmm. the club, and and that's what my job is: is to protect the best interests of the football club and of course provide pathways so you know we, we I don't expect anything to happen as such but that this is football so it would be wrong of me to sit there and say everyone's not for sale and we're not doing anything because I think that's that's quite naive Absolutely. but uh, 
I don't see anything coming at the moment. There's nothing on the table. But of course, there is There is always people watching your players because we've got some good players. And, you know, your fans are your best barometer for that. You know, supporters love to see the players. And when I joined Bradford City, supporters used to turn the backs on the players. And probably rightfully so, they weren't the best. Uh, it was a tough watch at times. And they did their best, but they weren't, they weren't good enough. And I think once you see that connection being built between fans and players, that's not just because they're nice people. It's because they think they're good and they represent the city properly. Um, and yeah, so of course, but there's no pressure, real, real pressure. Obviously, I spoke to the owner at length about the interest in Harry and that our decision was to reject that offer. As we've already mentioned then, less than two weeks now until that first game of the League Two season at Crawley Town. What are you expecting this season, Ryan, in what appears, if I'm being honest, to be an even more competitive division than last campaign? Are we looking at playoffs as a as a minimum requirement? Well, look, I think it's going to be the toughest League Two in the history of the fourth division, I would say. Certainly in my life, uh, the teams that are in it are absolutely serious. You know, there's I can you can count over a dozen teams maybe that could be could be ruled in to playoff um, potential, if not higher. There's always going to be a couple that surprise you. There's always one or two that get it together and get a great team spirit that perhaps supersedes anything that of, of another side's recruitment, and that's always really interesting to see. There is some, there are a number of excellent managers in this division as well, uh, including our own, and there's some very talented players. You know, it would not if you look at the bottom end of League One and compare it to the potential top end of League Two. There's not going to be a lot between them, if not. You could argue some of the teams in League Two could possibly compete in League One right now. So it's certainly for us um, a competition where we knew we had to improve, become more dynamic, get more legs in the team, size. We we, we think we're ticking all those boxes and, and, of course, goals to support Andy's heroics last season. So, yeah, it's going to be a difficult league, uh, but it's one we're ready to go for. And, and you know, I, I, without any shadow of a doubt, our, our expectations to get out of this division. And you mentioned Andy Cook there. Just how important was it that you tied him down to a to a new longer term contract? Yeah, look, Andy embodies what Bradford City is all about. He's uh, he represents the supporter base. You know, he's he's right at the opposition's throat. He, he he is what everyone wants him to be. You know, he really cares deeply about our football club. And Andy came to us at a really difficult time for him and us. Uh, he was he was out of favour at Mansfield, really struggling, and we were in. Big, big trouble. The football club for me was only a matter of weeks, months from being in the National League. And uh, Andy delivered for us then. He took nine goals in, in um, 16 starts for us. Uh, people probably forget these times, but arguably you could argue those nine were just as important as the 31 he put in the back of the net last season. Yeah. He's really developed himself. He's actually improved significantly uh, under Mark Hughes. Um, he's, he's in the shape of his career. And he's, he's absolutely bang at it. So, you know, we've signed a player there who's a real asset. And I can assure you there were more than probably 15, 16 clubs that wanted to sign him. Um, every single one of our opponents, uh, definitely, um, would have liked Andy Cook in their squad. Um, for me, he's a player I've admired since the day I started watching, working in football. I saw him for the first time at Walsall. I then watched Mansfield Town buy him for nearly £200,000. I could completely understand it. Prolific goal scorer at League 1 and League 2 level. Um, and we fully expect him to kick on with a bit more support around him. Probably a few more goals from midfield. We've got to keep our better players on the grass. We had some tough injuries last season to Walker and Osadebi that really hurt us because they're both goal scorers and assist makers. 
Um, but we think, you know, for us to have Andy tied down, I thought was um, was was the start of our sort of putting a putting last season behind us. You know, we had to move forward. He's very popular amongst our support base, and he's very popular inside the four walls. You know, we, you know, and I, and I think I think Andy's repaired the faith we showed him in in that in that what was a dark January in 2021 for both him and us. And he's really kicked on and delivered for our football club. And his, his, his new contract is richly deserved. You spoke at the recent fans forum, which was, was excellent, by the way. I attended that myself. But um, you did mention there about Bradford City's ceiling and that really they should be in the championship. Would you regard it as a failure if you don't manage to get them there? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I certainly believe we can get there. Um, it's a very extremely difficult ask, of course. Um, we... We operate as sustainably as we can, Tom. You know, I don't, I don't possess a magic money tree. Our owner funding is, 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 is zero in my time in charge. Um, I've done my very best to protect Bradford City Football Club in the best way I can and keep us competitive. Um, I personally believe the potential's there to do it. I think we've got everything we need. Uh, we need, we need stability, of course, and that that has been there. You know, this is Mark's. Start of Mark's second full season in charge as manager, which is a rarity if you've ever managed Bradford City and you've started last <laughs> start in your locker. Yeah. Um, so we, we're definitely building. Um, I am pretty tough on myself in general. I think if we got to the championship, it it, it, it would only feel like the next thing, you know. So I I, I think first of all we're going to get to League One and show the respect in League Two, and and I think we're dealing with a different animal at the moment with League Two and. That's why last season it was particularly difficult to take, not getting out of the leagues. I knew what was coming next. A couple more competitors. We've ultimately replaced Hartlepool and Rochdale, who we'll have to see how they get on in the National League in terms of their strength, with, with two teams that possibly fancy automatic promotion or certainly going to spend the money to achieve it, albeit. So um, the spending in this division is, is very high. Um, but there's no guarantees with that. You know, you've seen clubs recently who've spent lots of money and had really difficult rides. Um, but it, but it is it is a difficult it's a difficult balance. Um, but you know, within within the realms of possibility and what I've got to work with, um, we every single nickel we've got goes on the grass to make us as, as good as we can be. What about some of the youngsters then? Because you have rewarded several of them at various levels with new deals in the summer. I noticed that, which is is always good to see and it's a positive. But do you recognise that for any manager of Bradford City, it's becoming increasingly more challenging to, I guess, risk putting them in that first 11, such as the pressure to take City out of League Two as quickly as possible? Uh, yes and no, really. I think if the player's good enough, the manager will pick them. You know, I mean, Bobby Poynton's made a real mark in pre-season so far. Uh, the fact that he didn't play against Park Avenue was actually quite um, insightful, really. Uh, what he did against Hull was extremely impressive. Um, he's an example. Um, it is a big gap. You know, again, it's, you're going back to really a matter of funding, if we're being blunt about the matter. We don't have a 23 side. You know, if you carry if you carry up what we do, which is 19s, up to under 19s, you have, you're asking the boy to make a real leap into yeah. the first team. What we've tried to do is develop a loan strategy in the last 18 months, two years where the players are out on loan regularly. Uh-huh. Every one of the guys that's in the first team squad now, the three that have got squad numbers, have, have been in and amongst it playing men's football. And I don't mean National League. I mean, they've been right in amongst it in, in relegation fights, National League North and whatnot. Bobby was at Farsley, for example. That's designed to obviously fast-track them if we can. 
you know, 23 setups, very idealistic. If we were in the championship, we would probably have one. Uh, League two, League one, I would question it. You know, you're going to need to be spending four to 600,000 probably in wages to build the squad. And then you have to ask yourself, other than the ones you're producing yourself, uh, which there's no guarantees on, of course, where is your intake? And when the club last had a 23 side, its intake was very much the exits of players slightly higher up the chain who were never going to probably kick on and make it. And not many of them have when I've actually reflected on where they ended up after they left our 23 setup, which was abolished in 2018, 19. Okay. So I think, yes, of course, the manager's under pressure to get results. But if the if the boys have got enough in the locker, what, what Mark will do is he'll pick them. And I think those three in question will certainly have some say in this season. We haven't put them there um, to do them a favour. There's investment in them, that we've carried them, some of them since they were eight and nine years old. And there's another batch behind them. Um, you know, if we if if we can't keep the player in our system because they supersede what we've got and they're 15, 14, 16 years old. We do, of course, allow them to go higher. We've, we've I've sold six players um, since I took over. Um, again, that has funded our ability then to create more and, of course, to be, to be competitive at first-team level. So the academy strategy really is quite, is quite tight, but it's constantly being finessed um, and improved as best we can. I noticed, as I'm sure many supporters have done online, the new artwork in the director's car park, which, again, looks great. Are there any plans, though, to change or improve the fan experience for Matchday fans this season? Yeah, we're currently we're just about to re- um, begin recruitment for a fan engagement manager, so um, or fan experience officer, one of the two roles, you know, whatever title we decide upon. But that's going to be a new role for us. Um, again, you know, back back when I started, I was horrified when I was actually when I first joined the club, really more than this role. I was horrified when they produced the fan engagement index for the first time when we were 86 out of 92. Wow. wow. Absolutely horrendous. It was horrendous, but it was entirely fair. Yeah. Um, and I, I was quite upset about it. And I remember I went and had a chat with uh, Kevin Rye, who runs that, and he knows what he's talking about. And I just said, what, what on earth do we have to do to fix that? And he said, <laughs> start again, basically, <laughs> which which is which was fair. You know, we were yeah. a real mess uh, off the field and, and even on it, to be honest. And I, we just took his advice and we built along the way. And 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 it's about that. It's about ex. Uh, how was the word? Justifying to the bottom line why it's important to invest in a role that, on the face of it, won't bring you a return, but it will. It, it can and it will, and it does. And it, and our attendances have gone from sort of 14 and a half average 15 to nearly 18 last year so and, and what we've invested in heavily is crm data ticketing fan engagement transparency they're the areas marketing of course where we've really invested increased revenue or, or in terms of outside of the pitch and then of course when you're better on the grass all that knits together knits together quite nicely so yeah it's it's um, it's certainly an area of focus of ours. You know, we have a couple, we have a fan zone that we want to make much better, but we have one we didn't use to. It's a start point again, and we have, we were looking for a family fan zone as well, which okay. is going to be the other side of the ground, but it does need someone to oversee it and run it. So I would assume certainly in the next eight weeks that person will be in post, and it'll be really interesting to see um, what they do with that. And from a communications point of view, then, do you feel that you communicate? 
often enough with the Bradford City fans? I'd like to think so. I mean, I probably you're probably asking the wrong person to be honest. There. I think um, you know when I we, we, we were a club that always hid its accounts from its supporters, and we were a club that didn't bother with its supporters' board meetings prior to my involvement in it. And I think it's important. We've, we were as transparent as we can possibly be, to be honest. I, I, we, we reveal our season ticket numbers to the to the to the to the penny. We reveal um, we have surveys to rebrand the club or not, which is very controversial. Some clubs would just rock and roll. Um, we didn't. We took a different a different path on that, and I think we built more trust by actually, if you like, failing to rebrand the club because right. people were empowered to make the decision themselves. Um, you know, you have to recognise it. You really, although you're a paid employee, you're nothing really more than just a custodian of the club mm-hmm. until until the club decides it needs a new one, um, and then that person takes the mantle. And if you ever forget that and try and believe that you are the club, you've got a bit of a problem on your hands. So I think you know you've got to treat people with the utmost respect as possible. And I'd like to think, other than would you like to design the kit? I think our supporters have had about as much say as we could possibly offer. You know, I, I meet with the supporters board on a monthly basis, which um, I'm not sure what other chief execs do, but I always make time for that outside of hours. And we have a minimum of one fans forum in person per year, which isn't always easy to facilitate when you've got so many people who would like to come. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and like I say, if a supporter ever drops me an email, and as long as it's polite and it's constructive, I'm, I'm more than happy to have a conversation, yeah. So I think hopefully, hopefully we do, and um, you know, we now sat, we now sit ninth in the fan engagement index after right. being eighth. So uh, I, I would prefer, really, rather than give my own opinion on that, I think it's important that you, you, we look at facts and not fiction. So the facts are that we have got better at it, um, and we've got to keep getting better at it. You know, we have um, fan excellence, which the EFL have given us two years running. We hadn't had that previously since 2013, uh, and, and, and our aim is to have silver stroke gold standard on that, and we're currently at bronze. Um, and if we can achieve that, it, it actually means that the people that understand what they're talking about when it comes to these things believe that know that we're doing it correctly, and, and you can take some comfort in that, really. And the growth of the club in other areas continues to, to head in the right direction? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the growth of the club is, is really good. You know, outside of transfer income, yeah, our operational income is what is really where you, you view growth because I can we can sell a player for five million quid and you think, wow, incredible turnover, you know, 12 million, this club's massive. But you take the five million out and it's a seven million pound club. Yeah. So our, our turnover going out of this year, which we're just finalising now, is probably about 8.3 million, which is the highest it's ever been in League 2 or League 1 in the club's history. Um, so outside of transfer income, our operational growth last year was 42%, which means the business is virtually double the size it was. Um, that's down to the supporters. Um, but it's down to the, the uh, but it's also down to a lot of hard work. You know, I mentioned there what we've, where we've invested commercially, you know, back in the 2013 season, if you want to use that as a, a benchmark. I think the club achieved a base a profit, commercial profit of four hundred and fifty thousand. Right. This year, it's done nine hundred and sixty. So, it's commercial turnover at one point three million is higher than some clubs in the championship, and that is essential. I quite, I'm sure you know when when we announced partnerships. I think supporters 
come on, give us a player. I get that. I get that totally. But they are actually the things that makes us tick. And um, and really, the departments that are, are, are perform at the best are the ones that have got a clear strategy within the overall vision of the football club. Uh, we've got a really good senior management side team that, that lead the departments. We're not a big team, but we've got every single member of staff of the football club contributes massively. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We've got some really good people and we all virtually, we run in the same direction and that really is what it all boils down to. You know, it, 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 you can have the best people in the world, but if, if they're kind of pulling against or pulling away from it, it, it stands out and you're not going to get better. But, you know, I, I, our budget for next season is obviously we tilt up all the departments and ask them to run harder and harder um, to generate more income. So, of course, um, we will see where that is at. But, if, you know, I think I think off the field we're in a really good position and on the field, as I said earlier at the start, we're really only one click away from at least having uh, a shot at League One. Ryan, we've been beaten by the clock, but thank you very much indeed for your time. Before we let you go, though, have you got a message to the supporters ahead of the 23-24 season? Well, obviously, thanks very much for the support that we've had so far. Season ticket sales are nearly at 15,000 as we're on the eve of the season, if you like. We're all very excited. Um, We want to get right back into it. Um, We're going to take the pain collectively, (laughs) I think, as both staff and and supporters, we're all going to carry that a little bit into next year, but it certainly will give us a bit more of a ruthlessness, I think. The players can feel it, the manager felt it, I certainly felt it, and I'm, I'm sure everyone were up at Carlisle that day. It was really difficult to watch the, the celebrations of the opposition, and um, you know we're absolutely determined to have a say next season, and um, quite frankly, we couldn't do it without the uh, supporters. So, you know, they are the lifeblood of the football club. It's a really very much a fan-powered organisation. Uh, in terms of its revenue and um, you know the response we have when we put things on sale, be it shirts or tickets, is always unbelievable. And if 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 we work together like that and we continue to have that open dialogue, you can make Bradford City becomes a very powerful beast. You know, it's hard to stop. Ryan Sparks, top man. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. So there we have it, episode one. Thank you to the Bradford City CEO, Ryan Sparks, for his thoughts ahead of the coming season. And do check in again next Friday, where we'll have another interview, speak to a journalist closely connected to the club, map out where this podcast will be heading this campaign, and speak to the most important people, the Bradford City supporters. Until then, 